Good morning, everyone. My name is John Ray. I'm one of the elders here at Grace Church, teaching on the Psalms of Ascent as we go through here. And we've been looking for, we've been looking for an illustration or a metaphor to kind of help us guide through these Psalms. Uh, those of you who are familiar with Grace Church know that over the years, particularly the last six years, we've been very intentional and very disciplined of going through a large themes of Scripture, so it was easy to know what was coming next. And the Psalms aren't like that at all. The Psalms jump around. The Psalms uh, go from, from one of incredible joy to another of despair to another of longing to another of fulfilled longing with that. And someone mentioned, uh, Donnie Epp actually mentioned, he said, it's kind of like, Psalms are kind of like the Snapchat of the Bible. It's you get these brief pictures of things that are going on. And as he said that, I thought, well, that's great, but I'm old. And uh, I don't use Snapchat. So those of you who are with me who don't know what that means, and that's, that illustration falls flat, I brought something that might help us. So... This is the Snapchat of our generation, of my generation, right? Can I get an amen with that, right? <clears throat> so you get, you know, you look through it and you get a still shot of a scene, and then you click the lever, right? Remember that sound? Yeah? So for those of you on the podcast, I'm holding up a Viewmaster. Uh, you slide it and you get the next scene. And it may be something totally different. It may be something uh, totally unrelated to it with that. And that's a little bit what we're going through in the Psalms, is we, we hit a theme and we get a picture of it. We get a feeling. We get an emotional, it, it evokes an emotional response. But it's not whole and complete. It doesn't tell the whole story within itself. And that can be frustrating for those of us who are left brain thinkers, who are very rational, who like everything to fall into place, like everything to be systematized, like everything to be ordered. You're not going to get that in the Psalms. The thing is, we need that. This is art. This is poetry. This is music. This is the scene that is painted that evokes a specific time and place and people. And we need to let that saturate our consciousness. We need to let that saturate our imaginations to open up those parts of ourselves that we cannot explain with words. As I mentioned earlier as we were gathering, um, it's intense right now. Pete and Asha, Aaron, you know, I was thinking back to the New York trip we all took together with David and getting to know him on that mission trip and how that's, a, that's this picture in my mind that I want to hold. It doesn't tell the whole story. Can't do that. But that one image in my mind is worth holding and valuing. We get a picture today and while there is a deeper meaning, there is something that we can latch onto with our logic. There is a, a way of understanding this that gives us instruction. We can't come to that until we deal with the emotional part of it. 
So pray with me as we get into our scripture this week. Holy Spirit, we've prayed it, we've sung it, we've asked for it. And so now we believe that you are here. We believe that you've been here. You were here before we got here and you'll be here after we go. But we ask for the grace to open ourselves up to your presence. For the grace to experience your presence here as we prayed when we sang. Because you are the one who enlightens us. You are the one who leads us into truth. So we ask that now. In the name of Jesus. Amen. So let's look at our text. We're looking at Psalm 123, one of the Psalms of Ascent. The first part, I look to you, heaven-dwelling God. Look up to you for help. Like servants alert to their master's command, like a maiden attending her lady. Now we sang earlier, and we talked about it last week, that when they sang, I, I lift my eyes up and look under the mountains, where does my help come from? They were, they were purposely, actually, that was a rhetorical question. They were saying, my help doesn't come from the mountains. My help comes from God who made the mountains. So looking up, in a way, was saying, I'm looking at all these other things that bring me help, but those don't. I, I reject those, and I'm going to look to God. Because God is present. We talked about how God was with the people. They didn't have to necessarily look up because God was with them. But we see a different meaning this, this week. And this, this looking up is a posturing. And again, in our modern, rational, left-brain thinking culture and traditions, we separate out body and spirit to an unhealthy extent, I believe. Because we are incarnate creatures. We inhabit these bodies, and they are integral and inseparable from who we are. And so what the psalmist is saying here is, in looking up, is a posturing. The servant, the handmaiden, would kneel and look up. For instruction to know what to do next. And there's a physicality to this that we need to recognize and somehow pay attention to, maybe even incorporate. Now, I'm not in the habit of kneeling when I pray, but there are times when I need to do that. There are times when there's something about putting myself in the posture of prayer precedes the prayer. And that's what's happening here is the psalmist is saying, I am, I am lowering myself before you to look up to you so that you can show me what to do. And this is a purposeful humbling. And we're going to look at two things here with, hum, with being humble and being humiliated. And while the feeling, the emotional response may be the same thing, they're two very different ideas and intent. As we get to the end of the psalm, just in a few verses, they're going to talk about the humiliation that is heaped upon them from the arrogant, the proud, the brutal. And yes, indeed, they would be kneeling as well before those forces. But here they voluntarily kneel to look to help from God, which is a humbling, which may look identical but comes from a very different place and leads to a very different destination. 
we as believers humble ourselves before God because he will not humiliate us. Only the world does that. And so what are they doing as they're kneeling? It says we're watching and waiting, holding our breath, awaiting your word of mercy. Mercy, God. Mercy. We're going to look more in depth in a bit at the meaning of that word, but know this, that in the Hebrew, this is not just a definition of attitude, but also a posture. That mercy shown carries with it the dynamic posturing of lowering oneself down, of one being who is favored, who is exalted, lowering themselves to help another person. So do you see the dynamic interchange that's happening here? Is the people are saying, we bow down and look up because we expect you to come down. There is an expectation that God himself is going to lower himself to meet them where they're at. And mercy is like that. Mercy is coming towards us when we are immobile. Mercy is something that comes to us when we can't get it ourselves. And we see that in the words here. And that it ends like this. We've been kicked around long enough. Kicked in the teeth by complacent rich men. Kicked when we were down by arrogant brutes. You see, this, this humiliation is total. The words here are specific. This is economic, social, cultural, and physical abuse that is happening. And they feel it on all sides with this. It is systemic and it is personal in all its aspects. And so what are we to do with this? Well, we wait and we watch. We are waiting and we are watching. Now, I put this in the notes this week, but I was, I was struck by a resonance with 1 Corinthians 13. What's the first description it gives of love in 1 Corinthians 13? Anybody know? Everybody's saying it. Good. Love is patient. Now, why, why start with patient? Why not start with love is awesome? Or kind, or love and do it. Why? Why did? Why do you think Paul? And I'm granted. Look, you can have your own opinion on this. Okay, this is just an opinion. Why do you think Paul started with patient? Well, if you're like me, it's because that may be the hardest thing to do. I am by nature, and by practice, an impatient person. I don't like to wait. And yet that's the primary descriptor that Paul starts off with. And what we see in this text is that is what the people are doing. When it says that they are waiting and watching, that is a humble attitude and posture, but it is a patient attitude mentally. They're giving up their own time frame. They're allowing God to do God's thing at God's time. 
with that. And that's hard, especially when you feel overwhelmed. Has anybody here felt that way? Felt overwhelmed? Felt like there was an impossible task, an impossible situation, an impossible relationship? Felt like there was no good way out with that? This may be the universal experience of humanity to feel this, this overwhelmed, this helpless, this no way out. And that's why I think mercy is such a powerful word to us. And listen, you could, you, you could make a case that the people of Israel here, what are they waiting for? When we really look, when we timeline out the Old Testament, and we're going to, I can't wait until the fall, y'all, we get in to do this overview of the Old Testament. But when we timeline it out, what we're going to see is that the people of Israel had freedom, had prosperity, had self-determination for a very small time. That the majority of their experience in the world was being a people who were chased, oppressed, looked down upon, persecuted, overrun, overwhelmed. And yet they continue to wait before the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph and look for help. We talked about in the uh, teaching meeting this week, it's a little bit like having the Chicago Cubs as your favorite team. Now, I know the Cubs are doing this well, but this year, doing well this year, but historically, being a Cubbies fan is it's a little bit masochistic, right? With that? I mean, why not worship the God of the Yankees? Can I get an amen, Chris Lawson? Come on. All right. Never, never from his voice, never from his Red Sox heart. <clears throat> but you think about it what, it, what are they placing their trust in here? Why are they waiting on this God who, in so many instances, seems to have abandoned or be punishing or forgotten them? Well, we feel that way often, don't we? Isn't that, isn't that our experience often? Is that we want to trust God. We want to know God. We want to obey God. But in the immediate circumstance, it seems as if God is far off, has forgotten. But yet in this, we see them wait. And what are they waiting for? What is it that makes this mercy, mercy? Well, you can do a quick look up in the dictionary and you can see what it says there. You can also see in the Hebrew that this is an act of showing favor or pity. It's the idea of As I said earlier, God coming down to us. And maybe one way here that we can understand this, uh, Randall saw this on a church sign, and uh, it was a good church sign. Some church signs are very off. This one actually was backed up by uh, some commentaries that I read. We can understand it in the difference between grace and mercy. Oftentimes the two are used interchangeably. Oftentimes in our own uh, conversations we use grace and mercy interchangeably. But we might think about it this way, and this is not a total definition, but it's a good working definition. Grace is the idea that we are getting something we don't deserve. The idea of a gift. Grace is the idea of kind of like a birthday present. You think about it, why in the world would we give anybody a birthday present? 
I mean, what did you do to be born? That, that, that situation I had absolutely nothing to do with, I can guarantee you. I didn't earn being born. I didn't choose to be born. I didn't bring my parents together and introduce them over cocktails and say, hey, you two ought to get to know each other. I didn't do anything to be born, and yet people give me presents on my birthday for being born. It's totally unearned. It's unmerited and a bit illogical. That's kind of like grace. Grace is getting something we don't deserve. Mercy, however, is not getting what we do. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Mercy comes when we've messed things up. Mercy comes when we've forgotten. Mercy comes when we've fallen short. Mercy comes when we have been proven incapable. Mercy comes when we've blown it. My wife gives me mercy. I don't deserve it. She doesn't give me what I deserve. She gives me mercy. And that's what we're asking for. That's what, that, is, that is this essential human cry in times of trial and desperation. When we can't pray anything else, we can pray for mercy. Speaking of my wife this, this week as we were preparing the lesson and collaborating in the teaching team, she made a very uh, incredible observation. She said, really, this psalm would be much more logical if it were flipped. This, th- this psalm would make more, much more sense if it said, hey, God, we're surrounded by our enemies. We're being, we've been kicked around by the, the arrogant. We've been bullied by the powerful. Now we look to you. Right? I mean, that would be a much more logical sequence of action, and yet it's not. And that got me thinking that as opposed to waiting and watching, there's also watching and waiting. And that's what I tend to do. I tend to watch first. I tend to look around and say, man, what's happening? What's going on? Oh, look at that. Oh, that's dangerous. Oh, my gosh. That's, that, we need to do something about that. Oh, that's not fair. Stop that. Hold on. And then as I get more and more anxious, as I get more and more at my end, God, help me. And then I start to wait. Then it's like, oh, I mess things up. God, come quick. I need mercy. <clears throat> The psalmist teaches to do the opposite. Say, so wait and watch. And the other thing about this that's interesting, too, is that sometimes when all we do is watch the world, we can't take it, we short circuit. And probably necessarily so. I think it's probably a God given thing that we get overwhelmed and we just shut down. We blow a circuit, we blow a fuse because it is too overwhelming. And what happens then is we just start to take things as normal. We just start to take the world as it is, as the way things are, as that's just normal. Oh, well, there'll always be oppression. Oh, well, there'll always be disease. There'll always be war. Oh, well, there'll always be abuse. There'll always be racism. 
There will always be genocide. There will always be. That's just, you just look around and you just go, that's just, that's the way it's going to be. That's the way things are, you know. I just got to kind of find my way to muddle through it with that. But not us. Not us as believers. We look, we wait upon Jesus. We bow ourselves and we look up. And what we find happening when we do that is not only do we learn about beauty and truth, not only do we learn about mercy and grace, not only do we learn about truth and righteousness when we look to God, when we wait upon God, but correspondingly we we learn the true depths of our poverty. We learn the true depth of the horror that happens. You see, we can very quickly make excuses for the way things are. We can very quickly make, give reason and rationale for just the way things are when we subtract God from the conversation. But when we gaze intently upon the Lord, when we gaze intently in his word, when we open our lives to the Holy Spirit and he opens that capacity for for grace to be present, fully present to the Holy Spirit. When we experience true beauty, when we experience love not as the world describes, but as God describes. When we experience mercy as God gives, not as the world sells us. When we experience truth as an eternal, universal, unending reality that controls the universe and not just some subjective, pragmatic whim, it changes everything. It changes our understanding of everything. And those things which we saw as just minor inconveniences or other people's problems become gross injustice and our problem as well. When those ways that other people are grieving or being oppressed or struggling, those no longer became, those no longer, we treat those no longer as other people's problems. But we have the capacity to engage them and make them our own as well because that's what God has done for us. Listen, y'all, this is not easy stuff. This is not cruise ship theology. When we get into this, we will love more deeply. We will experience beauty in a way that we never have. We will yearn for truth at deeper levels than we ever thought possible. But we will also hurt more. We will also grieve more. We will also have a deeper righteous indignation than we thought possible. That's what these snapshots, these viewmaster slides, these snapchats of psalms 
are teaching us. I've often commented that everybody likes to be thought of as a servant, but nobody likes to be treated as one. And as I've reflected on that lately, though, I thought, you know, that's a pretty modern thought. Because for most of history, most people have been servants. You know, we live, in a, we live in a very rarefied culture here where most people grow up thinking that they're going to get to choose where they live and what job they have and who they're going to marry. Did you know that, and this is interesting, guys, I mean, you know, I look at y'all and you're growing up in this, in this culture that you're encouraged to, to dream your own dreams, right? I'm assuming your parents are encouraging you to dream your own dreams within reason, right? Do you know how rare that is? Do you know that most people growing up throughout history and most of the world, that all those decisions were made for them? Where they were going to live, what they were going to do, who they were going to marry? It's all, those were, those were you, you, why think about those things? Those were totally outside of your control. And yet still, even in a society where we have these choices, we understand that there is an attitude of servanthood that we have to embrace. Look, God's not, God didn't call you because he needs slaves. God didn't call us because he needs servants. God didn't call us because he needs soldiers. That is not the reason you were called into fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That is not the reason you were saved from your sin. That is not the, redeem, the, the reason you were redeemed and bought with a price. That's not the reason. However, there is a very understandable, legitimate, and necessary response to that calling to be a daughter, to be a son that we respond to that looks a lot like servanthood. It looks a lot like letting go of all those things that we had thought we wanted to let God give us what he wants for us. We're going to sit with this psalm this week. Listen, the psalm ends with them crying mercy. The psalm ends with them looking around and being oppressed and abused. Now we know the bigger story. We know those things. But we need to sit with this a little bit. We need to sit with this visceral experience of asking God for mercy. Because I believe what that does is creates in us the ability to be more merciful. So I want to challenge us this week to take that posture of a servant. To bow before the living God and to look up. And to ask God for mercy and to wait with that in all that we do. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up as we transition into this time of reflection, prayer, giving, and receiving. You have a tremendous opportunity this week in the 
teaching notes to dig much deeper into this in your own study and then as you gather in your community groups. You also have the time now to reflect on it. Don't accept it just because I say it. Don't accept it just because I have the microphone. This is something we wrestle with together as a community, individually, community groups, beyond that. So use this time to reflect. If you need prayer this week or you need to pray for somebody, now is the time to do it as we enter this time of worship. It's also a time to give where we share our offering. We pass the baskets and we share with the needs of this body and also those in need outside of the body as a blessing. But most of all, we receive. You see, because that mercy has already been shown and that mercy is represented right here. Grace and mercy meet at this table. We get what we don't deserve, which is an invitation to sit at the table of the Lord Jesus, to be welcomed as friends and sons and daughters, to be treated with honor and respect at the Lord's table. That is the invitation we all have. And we get mercy because we receive what we didn't deserve. Or we receive we don't receive what we shouldn't, which is condemnation, which is that we have to pay for everything that we have broken. God instead was broken. As we take this broken body and we take this spilt blood, we're not getting what we deserve. We are not getting what we deserve. Grace and mercy at this table. So come and accept that. Thank you for being here this week.